Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. It was three months after Katrina. There were still high water marks on the houses. There were still X's spray painted on the doors, marking the places that had already been checked for survivors, counting the bodies that had been found inside. Lots of street signs had been washed away, so anybody driving had to navigate by memory. That was what New Orleans was like when J. David Rogers flew down. It was a ghost town. It, it was just, it was eerie. It was like being, you know, at some place that had been bombed. Didn't knock all the buildings down, but sure knocked a lot of them down. David's a professor of geological engineering at the Missouri University of Science and Technology. But he's also one of the guys people call when big engineering projects fail. He's a forensic scientist for disasters. I worked on the... Uh, Interstate 880 Cypress collapse in Oakland in 1989. That was 44 people were killed and crushed, and I was down there the first night in that one. But that was one structure. It wasn't like New Orleans, where it's just desolation just goes for miles and miles and miles, and nobody escapes. David was part of a team funded by the National Science Foundation in UC Berkeley. He was there to investigate how the levees had broken. Several groups were doing the same the Army Corps of Engineers, private researchers, groups of amateurs. David went to the places where the levees broke to find answers. Well, I think uh, the one that was most penetrating that I'll never forget is in St. Bernard Parish. The whole levee just disappeared, liquefied. So all the ships and the shrimp boats and everything just went right over the Arpent levee and into St. Bernard, and then the water couldn't get out. And so you had cars on top of houses that we found, and you had these uh, skilled care facilities with all these dead senior citizens inside of them. It, it, was, it was like a scene from Dante's hell. It was really hard. If Katrina had really been the big one, the answers would have been easy. The levees weren't built for a direct hit by a Category 5 storm. But Katrina was a Category 3 storm at landfall. It didn't hit the city directly. The levee should have held up. Committee will uh, come to order. Uh, Mr. Melanson, we have some... As investigators worked, Congress started holding hearings. Please proceed. Would you both raise your right hand and we will testify under the sound sort The country was trying to figure out what happened. The country is trying to figure out who to blame. And a battleground over who should be held accountable for the catastrophic failures to respond effectively. The president is fighting the impression that his administration waited too long. Mr. To Bush and the White House are aware they have a problem. The president said he's going to lead the investigation into what went wrong. He needs to look only in the mirror. But before anyone could figure out who to blame, we needed to know what happened. Levies had failed in over 50 locations. Hundreds of people had died, and their families needed closure. 
there were thousands more returning to New Orleans and the Gulf Coast who needed to know the levees could keep them safe next time. There was a debate over the future of the city. Somewhere in the hundreds of miles of levees between the mouth of the Mississippi and Lake Pontchartrain, there were answers to be found. We said we're going to look at as many of these failures as we can to try and figure out what it was that caused the failure. What did you think had happened? I had no idea. Part six, Reckoning. There wasn't much to do in the Drury Inn and Suites in Lafayette, Louisiana. It's only a couple hours away from New Orleans, but in the weeks after Katrina, it might as well have been on another planet. That's where Sandy Rosenthal and her family were staying after the storm. And that's where they still were weeks after it had passed. We, we didn't know that we were going to be able to go home. When we first heard that the city was flooding, naturally we assumed the worst. Sandy's a Boston transplant who lived uptown. Up on the high ground, in the sliver by the river, she'd never really had to think about floods before. No one had ever talked about the levee breaking. That would be like, it would have made more sense to say Martians had landed. We would have been easier to process that than to say the levees had broken. It never occurred to us they could break, especially levees built by the Army Corps of Engineers. So when you do have some sense of the fact that the city is flooding... What is the vision that's in your mind when you piece that together? We all cried. Because, you know, we all just held each other and cried. And then the next morning, I remember jolting out of bed, sitting upright in bed. And I would wake up every day like that for about a month. But there was a little good news. She found out that the high ground in New Orleans had been spared. I was one of the lucky ones. Um, I didn't flood, which made my life completely different from 80% of the city, so that I had had luxury, if you want to call it. Uh, I had the luxury of time that I could process the information. She hadn't lost anything. But that's exactly why her life was about to change. My memory of the weeks afterward is being glued to the radio, glued to the television set, glued to the newspapers, glued to the internet. News, 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 news. I had, we were constantly drinking in news, trying to understand, trying to process what had happened. Not to take in too many- As Sandy watched TV, she started to recognize a pattern. Early on, Katrina was always described like an act of God. The hurricane was massive. New Orleans was vulnerable. The disaster was unavoidable. So much of this city, the Big Easy, is so easily flooded. It's so exposed. The trouble is everyone knows that when the big one hits, those levees won't be high enough or strong enough. For nearly 300 years, the sea has been closing in on New Orleans as the coastal erosion... And if New Orleans was somehow destined for destruction, maybe nobody should live there. As the city begins what's likely the biggest demolition project in U.S. history, the question is... Can we, or should we, put New Orleans back together again? The idea that New Orleans shouldn't be rebuilt, didn't deserve to be rebuilt, it wasn't all that uncommon. Speaker of the House Dennis Hastert said early on that rebuilding the city didn't make any sense. 
the Speaker of the House basically said that given the geography of New Orleans, maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to rebuild it as it was. A Slate editor named Jack Schaefer wrote a piece called Don't Refloat that agreed. He wrote, quote, New Orleans puts the D into dysfunctional. Only a sadist would insist on resurrecting this concentration of poverty, crime, and deplorable schools. Even some New Orleanians thought the city was too dysfunctional to save. But for Sandy, none of it made any sense. Those Army Corps levees were strong. They shouldn't have broken. She hadn't expected to be holed up in the hotel that long. Like a lot of other folks who evacuated ahead of Katrina, she thought it was going to be a couple weeks tops. Kind of a forced vacation. She even packed her tennis racket. I found other people who played tennis in Lafayette, and I got a phone call. The University of Lafayette is having mixed doubles tournament. They need a female player. Do you want to play? All Sandy was doing was watching news reports about Katrina. She really needed to get out of her hotel room. So she said, sure. So I put on my tennis clothes and got my tennis bag and went to the mixed doubles tournament. And the first thing I did is talked about the levees. I I said, I'm an evacuee. I talked about the levees. I talked about how the levees were faulty and shouldn't have broken. Another player at the tournament was from Alexandria, Louisiana. He cut in. And the gentleman from Alexandria um, told me, oh, no, there was nothing wrong with those levees. Those levees were fine. Katrina was a huge storm, and people like you don't deserve help. He just insulted every person I know, every family member I have, literally every friend I have, and every person in my entire city. He just insulted all of them with that statement. And by telling us, he basically had just said, we're stupid for living here and imbeciles for wanting to rebuild, that we wanted special consideration was, he considered that uh, chutzpah, that's chutzpah, that you want special help for your stupid behavior. And I went to my, my uh, I was shocked, of course. I went and got my keys. I held them up in front of the gentleman and said, I'm a victim. And if you don't apologize right now, I'm leaving. He did apologize. Sandy stayed and played. But she felt like she was seeing clearly for the very first time. When this gentleman spoke to me those words, he opened up a world I didn't realize was there. It's a world of people who are sitting in judgment and blaming us for our misfortune and who, with their arms across their chest, were not going to provide us any of the help that we needed and deserved. And had he not opened up my eyes to that world, I, it, is, it is entirely true that I might have come home and just lived my life and done absolutely nothing. A lot of people were made into activists by Katrina. But Sandy Rosenthal might be the only one who got activated at a mixed doubles tournament. I was 48 years old when, at that point. I was working part-time, playing a lot of tennis, um, and not, not politically active at all. And then, like almost every, I would say like every person that experienced the trauma of the levee breaches, I changed. She decided she was going to find every piece of information she could about the levees so she could shut up people who were judging New Orleans. She was going to rally people to demand answers. She would argue for the right of New Orleans to come back, 
I don't know if it's partly innate who I am. I tend to ask questions. Sometimes I irritate people with the questions I ask, um, including my husband. But uh, I ask questions, and if I don't get a sensible answer, I keep asking until I get the answers. She set up an online petition to demand that President Bush keep a promise to build the levees back stronger. And her 15-year-old son created a website. We chose levees.org, and overnight we had 200 members. So I guess now we're somebody. She had a mission. She had a website. She had numbers. Sandy was building an army. But they were about to go up against the real army. A general with the Army Corps of Engineers says he does not know how long it'll take to drain the flooded city of New Orleans. But the Corps of Engineers believes there is progress being made in stopping the rush of water. The Army Corps of Engineers says everything was done to protect New Orleans, but Hurricane Katrina was more than the levees were built to handle. The narrative that the Army Corps of Engineers wanted you to believe after their levees broke was that Katrina was just too big a storm, that the geography of New Orleans is almost totally below sea level and, and soft, spongy soils and difficult to work with. That's what the Army Corps wanted you to believe. Hi, this is Jeffrey Goldberg. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. This project, Floodlines, is the result of almost a year of reporting by a small but dedicated team of our journalists. I hope you listen to the whole series, and I hope that when you're done, you'll decide that what you really need in your life is even more Atlantic journalism. For 163 years, the journalists at The Atlantic have been producing superior narrative stories about the issues that matter most in the world. You can gain unlimited access to all of The Atlantic's great stories by subscribing. Go to theatlantic.com slash support us to learn more. That's theatlantic.com slash support us. Thank you very much for listening, and now back to Floodlines. Take a valley, broad and gentle. Stretch it from the highlands to the sea. Cover in grass, dense forests, lush fields, and great pastures. Cloak it with natural beauty. Build cities and towns along the wooded slopes, and you have the Valley of the Mississippi, the greatest in the world. This is the Valley of the Giant. This is from a 1950 documentary from the Army Corps of Engineers. The film talks about the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927, the most destructive river flood in American history. But sometimes the giant gets out of control. There's footage of homeless people and Red Cross camps and refugees. In response to this crisis, the Congress of the United States passed the Flood Control Act of 1928. That act put the Army Corps of Engineers in charge of controlling the flooding all up and down the Mississippi, including in New Orleans. The Army engineers were instructed to develop and put into effect an overall plan for controlling the floods, which... There's no Nazis or Japanese fighters to overcome. But this is a war propaganda film. The army was fighting the Mississippi. And in the film, there are the action shots to match. Barges, dredges, heavy machinery. It's the moon landing before the moonlight. And so the future becomes one which holds new promise for the valley and the nation. 
the giant is being harnessed, slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. Before the 1920s, New Orleans was surrounded by a patchwork of local levees, sometimes just hills, that protected certain places from floods. Six decades after that documentary, the system it described was in place. The Army Corps took that patchwork and turned it into mighty walls that could hold back river, lake, and storm. Generations in New Orleans had lived behind the great levees that had been built and rebuilt by the Army Corps of Engineers. Before Katrina, even after Katrina, that system is considered a global marvel of engineering. It's the kind of thing an engineer like David Rogers would have grown up dreaming about. The history of the Corps of Engineers and the Mississippi River is the history of flood control in the United States. The problem is that history of flood control is also full of floods. Flooding now at Jackson Barracks. You're kidding. No one's kidding. Betsy's bringing in danger from a totally unexpected quarter. In 1965, Hurricane Betsy hit New Orleans, and the Industrial Canal levee failed. Roaring across the Industrial Canal into the southeast section of New Orleans. No one knows the full size of the disaster yet. In Betsy's wake, there's only darkness, confusion, and death. It put the entire Lower Ninth Ward and some other parts of the city underwater. It was so bad that President Johnson came down at night to visit the victims. I have just completed an extensive tour of New Orleans and the surrounding area. I'm saddened by the damage and the suffering that I have seen. That was a real watershed event because that was the first natural disaster we had in the United States that exceeded $1 billion in losses. Lots of people who were in the Lower Ninth Ward during Betsy had heard stories about what happened in 1927 when businessmen and bankers had gotten together to blow up the levees on purpose. There was no evidence of sabotage from 1965, but still, that's what lots of people believed. When Katrina hit, the levees by the Lower Ninth Ward failed again. Plenty of people had heard about the suspicions in 1965. Some figured it couldn't be a coincidence. The idea of sabotage made it all the way to Capitol Hill during the congressional hearings on Katrina. I was on my front porch. I have witnesses that they bombed the walls of the levee. And the debris that's in front of my door will testify to that. The sheer lack of information made it easier to believe the sabotage theory. How could those levees, the ones built by the mighty Army Corps, how could they have failed if not on purpose? It was David Rogers' job to figure that out. And so he began to dig. He did soil samples, busted out his trusty comb penetrometer. Or with a drive sampler, and you had to recognize that when the friction ratio got above... He looked at sheet piles and slip surfaces. We're trying to see what the uh, mobilized shear strength of those little horizons were. This is the engineer engineers come to when they have a problem. His brain is full of details. I mean, the guy has like a million ways to describe mud. The consistency of real soft, runny... Uh, smooth, creamy peanut butter. It looks like the kind of uh, oil paint you paint with when you paint an oil painting. It just looks like a little piece of baby poop. That would be the best way to describe it. You could actually... It sounds funny, um, but all these little details about friction ratio and mud and shear strength can be the difference between life and death. The difference between a levee that can withstand a storm and one that'll break. 
it's serious. What we do as civil engineers is serious business. People depend on us to do it right. There are many types of levees in New Orleans, but a lot of them are basically big hills, sometimes with big concrete flood walls stuck in them. They should be able to hold any flood that doesn't go over the top. Before Katrina, the flood walls were designed to be about 13 to 15 feet high. The initial story from the Army Corps was that Katrina had been above that level. Army Corps Commander Carl Strock said that the storm surge was so high that it just washed over the tops of the levees. Now, could this have been avoided? The area where the levee breaks occurred was at its final design configuration, so that was as good as it was going to get. And what does that mean? Uh, it ac- actually, we knew that it would protect from a Category 3 hurricane. In fact, it has, it has been through a number of Category 3 hurricanes. The intensity of this storm simply exceeded the design capacity of this levee. And but even in the moment, without all the information, some people thought the story didn't sound right. They came out with this was an act of God, you know, it just overwhelmed our, our A-class levees, and therefore we're not at fault. That's Ivor Von Heerden. He's from South Africa, but he'd been in Louisiana for over a decade. When Katrina hit, he was a deputy director of the LSU Hurricane Center. He knew the levees well. He wasn't buying the Army Corps story. I walked many of those levees, and I saw ones that were down, you know, that they were sinking under their own weight. I could see that, you know. I looked at the, at the, just these flimsy walls, metal walls, you know, I mean, I said, those things ain't going to last, you know. Ivor had been trying to warn of a potential catastrophe for years. He was one of the scientists whose work helped predict the big one. His computer modeling showed the water hadn't gotten high enough to go over the top of the 17th Street Canal levees. So as soon as I got chance, I flew in an airplane. And I saw breach after breach after breach after breach. And I had a good video camera, and I videoed them. Looking down from above, Ivor saw that his computer models had been right. He couldn't find any sign that the water had gone over the top of that levee. The water didn't get high enough. It didn't go over the top of them as they complained. The Army Corps explanation that Katrina had been too powerful didn't make sense. Something was wrong with the levees. But what was the problem? And who caused it? The Corps had designed and built the levees. But it was a local government's job to maintain them. The FBI and DOJ started looking into whether local corruption could have partly been to blame. In a congressional hearing, Republican Bill Schuster outlined a similar theory. Uh, It's also my understanding that the two canals that broke uh, were under the supervision uh, maintenance of the city of New Orleans, the the, the levee boards, and and the sewer and water treatment facilities. So uh, I I keep hearing the levees, the levees. I think that the the core, uh, as I said, certainly may have designed them. There is responsibility equally for the folks that are that are there maintaining and supervising those, those levees on, on a daily, monthly, weekly basis. Uh, but the Corps firing back now saying engineers worked with all levels of government to build those levees. 
And you can't blame one entity for the failure. On Capitol Hill today, tough questions about whether local officials who were supposed to make sure the city's levy system was properly maintained were doing their job. Just a few minutes ago, House Majority Leader Tom DeLay came out of this contentious meeting and said it's really not the federal government's fault, it's really the local government's fault in Louisiana. The blame game in full swing now this meeting was very contentious. While this whole conversation was happening in Washington, David Rogers was visiting the breach sites around New Orleans. The problems he found didn't have much to do with maintenance at all. He found fundamental structural problems. Some levees were sinking. Some weren't high enough. Some weren't properly connected to others. There were huge gaps in between some walls. Later, testing showed the 17th Street levee couldn't hold nearly the amount of water it was designed to hold. Those gold standard levees built by the Army Corps of Engineers just weren't so great. You know, there were just, there were some things that were just really, really stupid, really bad. Um, then there were things that were just honest mistakes, where there was a lack of peer review. Uh, there were details, nuances like that, that could have been done better. David and his colleagues released their report in 2006, after months of investigation. They found that the failures weren't just because of a particularly strong storm. Katrina was powerful enough to cause some flooding, even if the levees had been well-designed and well-built. But they weren't well-designed, and they weren't well-built. The hurricane, it it was a trigger. I I want people to stop talking about a hurricane. I want people to talk about the levee failures. Sandy had her hands on David's report as soon as he released it. But there were lots of things about it that she didn't love. It didn't put all the blame on the Army Corps. It said that disorganization in New Orleans had also played a part, that local officials had a hand in forcing the Army Corps to build bad levees. That was very damaging. And even though the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers said publicly that shouldn't have mattered, we should have still built this properly, we were never able to get out from under that. Sandy was worried that any blame on the local levy boards would be used against New Orleans would become a part of the narrative that New Orleans somehow brought this on itself, that New Orleans shouldn't be rebuilt. She used her website to try to get the word out that the Army Corps was responsible, not New Orleans. But then she started noticing weird comments on the site. Oh, the comments that were ugly and mean. They were going, Sandy, you you love to bash the Corps, and you obviously have a bone to pick with the Corps. Why Why do you hate the Corps so much? Some of the comments weren't just mean, They were scary. They were using intimidation. They were using, you know, saying ugly things. And it was clear from some of the comments they knew where I lived. They could describe my house. So a colleague of mine said, you should, you know, you can look up IP addresses and you can see where they come from. I thought to myself, yeah, I know, but I I didn't want to focus on that. Well, he insisted. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I will. So they looked them up. I could see from their IP address where they were. They were actually core headquarters. A Department of Defense investigation eventually tracked some of the comments to the computer of an Army Corps contractor. We asked the Army Corps about it. A spokesperson said as soon as leadership heard about it, they put a stop to it. The Corps blocked levies.org from most of their computers. And the Army Corps was very embarrassed about it and actually issued me an apology for it. And he issued an, a, a, a memo to all of his staffers, don't do that. And most people would be frightened by it. But me, I was actually empowered by it because I knew I must be right. 
Why spend all this time and energy going after me if I'm wrong? If I was saying the earth was flat. Ivor Von Heerden, the director of the LSU Hurricane Center, kept speaking about the Army Corps' responsibility, too. He even wrote a book. LSU told him he wasn't qualified to be commenting on engineering mistakes and said the university shouldn't be pointing blame. But he kept talking. In 2009, he was fired. He sued for wrongful termination and later released a bunch of emails indicating state and federal officials had pressured the university into firing him. Ivor and LSU settled in 2013 for over $400,000. He hasn't been able to get a job since. As for David Rogers, he got some pushback too. His report wasn't about blame or about pointing the finger at the Army Corps. It simply detailed the results of his forensic work. But with the Corps, he felt he became persona non grata. They didn't like what I you know, was saying, and they felt that it was um, damning of the, the Corps of Engineers, like we were saying they were a bunch of negligent fools. And I didn't ever say that. David was surprised. He said an Army Corps employee came to one of his lectures and called him a liar. I'm a real student of the Corps of Engineers and their history, and I have great respect for a lot of their people who have made incredible contributions. So that was probably the saddest thing of the whole um, consultation because I'm a military man. I had 31 years, Navy, Marine Corps, counting active and reserve. I, I don't consider the Corps of Engineers my enemy at all. When you think about it, all the pushback, the comments and emails and confrontations, they were all over what might be considered small details. Whether or not the Army Corps was like partly at fault or mostly at fault. But what was on the line was something bigger. It was about a certain kind of faith. We want to believe the romantic story that it was Mother Nature. That's romantic. The Titanic was almost romantic, the way they stylized it, you know. But the Titanic wasn't romantic. It wasn't a love story. The Titanic was a failure due to the arrogance of man. Uh, arrogance is what caused them to put too few lifeboats. Arrogance is what caused them to turn off the radio so that they didn't hear the warnings about the ice. They were so arrogant, they were going to break a record on their maiden voyage. They were not focused on the safety of their passengers. A hundred years later, we have the levees. Sandy felt that her fight was not just about facts, but about an idea. The Army Corps represented American might, no matter the enemy, from terrorists to hurricanes. People wanted to believe the American can-do spirit could defeat it. But what if it couldn't? To believe that the Army Corps is responsible, you have to turn your, a lot of things you believe upside down and you're forced to uh, have to entertain an idea that's uncomfortable, that the federal government is responsible for this. Well, if they're responsible for that, what else are they responsible for? The idea that the federal government is responsible for flooding an entire American city, it was just, I think it was just too much for people to believe. I don't blame them for having trouble believing it. I don't blame them. If Sandy was right about her version of events, it wasn't just that the Army Corps was asleep at the wheel. They drove the damn car into the ditch. For the next decade, folks like Sandy and Ivor kept fighting that fight. Locals went to levee board meetings. 
they commemorated all the anniversaries. But going into the 10th anniversary, Sandy was still worried that New Orleans was getting blamed for the levee breaches. And she thought there was someone who might be able to correct the record once and for all. David Rogers. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, we traveled to Walla, Missouri, uh, to speak with him. And he, he's, he was instrumental. Uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Sandy brought David evidence that the local board didn't really have much to do with the breaches. She found information about an old test the Army Corps had done to figure out how deep to anchor the 17th Street and London Ave flood walls. Turns out it didn't interpret the test right. Those levees weren't deep enough. They were probably going to fail no matter what. So in 2015, David wrote a new report saying the local levy board had no role in those failures. I would say there was absolutely the, the, uh, the coup of my organization. We urged the civil engineers to write it, and they did upon our urging, because they, they, they understood that it was true, that New Orleans was thrown under the bus. That's it. It took 10 years, but they gotten the author of the most influential report on the levees to correct the record. End of story. Today, the Army Corps agrees with that interpretation. After all the reports and research over the years, they've confirmed something they didn't in the immediate aftermath. They told us that design failures were a significant factor in the flooding of the city, and that they bear responsibility for those failures. If you go to the site of the breach in the Lower Ninth Ward today, you'll see that the walls have been repaired. The levees and flood walls are rebuilt stronger, taller, more capable of managing the power of the Mississippi giant, the massive storm surges from the Gulf, the immense pressure from the lake. You wouldn't know just from looking at it that in 2005, a wall of water broke through the levee and killed dozens of people. But you might notice a plaque standing right at the spot where the levee broke. The sign reads, Industrial Canal Flood Wall. The breach of the Industrial Canal and others during Hurricane Katrina created a pivotal moment in American history when flood walls designed and built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers failed. The flooding from the breach here killed hundreds, destroyed homes, toppled trees, and forever altered the fabric of the historic Lower Ninth Ward. The disaster forced the Army Corps to issue new guidelines and levy building, which improved safety for residents all across the country. Levies.org put this sign here. They worked with New Orleans to place signs at major breaches, with each one forever holding the Army Corps in America to account. Now, the story that everyone agrees on is the one that blames the U.S. government, and one that vindicates folks like Sandy, Ivor, and David. The flood was not inevitable. They were right, but that wasn't enough. On the other side of that plaque, it described the Lower Ninth Ward, a place where thousands of families lived before the storm, mostly homeowners, a place where black people had thrived in a neighborhood all their own. Most of New Orleans did come back. But on the street where this plaque sits, there is empty lot after empty lot, a house here and there, but plenty of open fields of grass. Fifteen years later, less than half of the former residents have made it back. 
the plaque memorializes what they built. But most of the people who did the building aren't around to read it. We know why the levees broke. We already built levees that won't break the same way again. But as for the people, those who couldn't come back, the neighborhoods and communities that just stand as memorials now while others thrive, there are lots of things that no levees could fix. Some things that are maybe even deeper than earth and water. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.